Plants capture CO2. What if we could help industrial plants capture it too? Think how we could help lower emissions. More and more scientists think carbon capture is key to reducing CO2 emissions globally. It's one way ExxonMobil is helping industrial plants be more like plants. That's the unexpected energy of ExxonMobil. Welcome to NFL Live. Jack Collinsworth, Adam Schefter, three-time Super Bowl champ. Darren Woodson, another three-time Super Bowl champ over here. Teddy Bruschi, of course, the Hall of Famer. Bill Polian. Fellas, we've been waiting all week to hear from Antonio Brown. He spoke less than an hour ago, so we do want to get this straight out to here uh, to A.B. in Pittsburgh to hear what he had to say. Here's A.B. Your, your teammates said you didn't owe them an apology. Did you apologize anywhere? <laughs> apologize for what? I got a personal issue. You guys have personal issues at home. Stuff happened. Yeah. You guys, you guys apologize for it or what? That's life. I got to apologize for the way I react. I got to apologize for everything. I'm a man. I don't make excuses. If I did something, I take solely responsibility for my actions. I'm accountable for my actions, and I take full responsibility. It don't matter, you know. It's all about uh, just playing football, you know, the distractions we got to stay away from. I'm here to play football, and in that regard, we got to stay focused in the midst of it. Mike, Tony, you left the fourth touchdown. Why were you so mad? Well, we losing the game. We can't beat by 40. We haven't won a game yet. For me, as a stealer, that's unacceptable. You know, I'm not on the sideline begging for the ball or making statements like you guys make. I'm pissed off. We losing. We but suck. You just tied the game. James Conner just tied the game. Now, you guys make assumptions about my emotion. You guys don't know me at all. You guys just write what you think going to get hits. Between me and you, everyone in the locker know what I stand for, know what I'm about. You know, I'm committed to this program, this organization. I'm fully here. I go to work every day. I'm about my business, and I don't take it for granted. You know, my business is winning here. I come here to win. And Tony, do you consider yourself a leader on this football team and a leader by example? Absolutely. I think I lead by example. I come to work every day. Uh, you guys can make a statement that I'm a diva, but you ask these guys. I put my heart on the line every day. Regardless of how I'm feeling, I'm out there. I'm giving 100% effort. Uh, that's what I'm about. Well, based on that, do you have to watch what you do in light of losing, whether you get upset on the sidelines? Obviously, I'm in the spotlight, so you guys are going to always you know, put me under the microscope. But I'm a compassionate individual. I can't fake the way I feel. You know, I can't hide the way I feel. If it wasn't important to me, then I would just say it don't matter. But I'm not that type of guy who just around here cashing checks and don't care. You know, it means something to me. And not only means something to me, it means something to my family. And when football is not fun and I can't dedicate it and take it serious, I shouldn't be here. But obviously I don't want to betray. You know, I'm still grateful to put on my uniform, uh, grateful to be a part of this organization. Um, you know, I don't take that for granted. Uh, obviously it was a uh, stupid remark on online. Uh, I just got to stay away from online with the distractions and letting people get in me out of my character. But, uh, you know, it's just sad for a guy who worked here. Uh, numerous years, you know, to say what he think. You know, obviously, as a team game, my success does de de depend on Rothenberger, the offensive line, and all the other receivers doing their job. But as a competitor, I mean, I take this serious. Their stats, you know, stats de depend on the team. You know, I can't throw it and catch it myself. You know, it's a team game. I got to depend on Ben. I got to depend on the O-line. I got to depend on the running back. I got to depend on the other guys to do their job so I, I can make stats. But our business is winning. You know, we don't win. Nobody cares about your stats. You know what I mean? So I'm here trying to win. When you see me talking on the sideline to Randy Finley, you asking what I'm saying. I'm, I'm ready to win. 
But to you guys, it's always fun as, oh, yeah, he's selfish because maybe I do got big stacks. But that's what it is. You know, it's all about winning. If I'm not coming here to win, if guys don't want to win here, just send me home. Do you miss Todd Haley and his offense? Yes, you want me to give you another story so you can headline? Well, you hugged him Crazy. one week and, and yelled at Randy the next week. I never yelled at Randy. We just talked. I got a great relationship with Randy. Randy, the reason I'm here, he recruited me. So if you see me in his face talking, that's just because we have that type of respect for each other where I can talk to him like that. You know, we, we know each other on that type of level. It, it's not no disrespect. You ask Randy what I'm saying. I'm saying winning. But obviously I'm misunderstood. You, got, you, guys, you guys wouldn't have a clue. What do you want me to tell you? No one care about my problems. They just care about the winning. All right, so social media can cause some troubles. That's what happened here this week. Uh, I saw you nodding along as you, you heard the answers right there from AB. What's your reaction? Uh, my reaction is it seems like a player that's just fed up, fed up with a lot of things that are going on, fed up with the losing that is. To me, he's trying to squash it as best he can in terms of not being a distraction. Obviously, he was this week in terms of what happened on social media. I think Antonio Brown does get affected somewhat by the social media. That's what he even said. I can't let that get to me. I can't have a, uh, a reaction where I say something like that. I can't have that emotional reaction. He knows he caused a distraction there. But he f- talked about the team. He talked about wanting to win football games. He talked about being a Pittsburgh Steeler. If I'm his teammate, I'm happy to hear those things, and I'm happy to hear him try to squash that the best he can. So, so Bill... So as you have all this going on, you have Le'Veon in the background, too, talking about Le'Veon Bell holding out from the contract. How should the front office and the coaching staff be handling all of this? Well, first of all, I think they're handling it correctly. Number one, Le'Veon's not there. Forget about him. He's like a player who's gone for the year because of injury. He affects nothing. And until he comes back, there's no reason to even think about him. He's not going to help you win or lose a football game. That's number one. Number two, ABM, sure, regardless of what the situation was, got a fine. And that will be handled internally. Uh, you don't miss work. Uh, so that's been handled. Uh, Mike Tomlin said that. And three, I agree with everything Teddy said, and I agree with everything A.B. said. Mm-hmm. Social media is the problem here. If I could give A.B. any advice, it would be, hey, buddy, you're a great player. Stay off it. Don't let it get, don't let it get, get under your skin. It can't help you, and it can't win or lose a football game. Two of the problems that he's had, two of the biggest problems that he's had in Pittsburgh yeah. – or self-induced, both on social media. Facebook, Twitter. One this week bringing up the word trade. Whether he was asking for a trade, whatever it was, he brought it up in response to a former Steelers employee. The other one was after that Chiefs playoff game when the team is around listening to Mike Tomlin. He's taping himself on social media on Facebook Live, Mm -hmm. taping the others around on Facebook Live, and that led to some problems there. Now, he may have a contractual deal, gets paid handsomely, good for him. Everybody should make what they can. But if he stays off there, I could live with some of the anger on the sideline, some of the outbursts. That's a lot more than some players show when some players are going through the motions on a Sunday. The guy is demonstrating fire and passion and wants to win and cares about winning. Yeah. But the social media part is the part that he's got to be smart Listen, about. I didn't have a problem with the outburst on the sideline. I played with many wide receivers, Michael Irvin, for example, went off on, on the sideline. Tom he was Brady emotional. Goes off on the yeah, Tom Brady goes off. He went off Sunday. You hear Des Bryant years ago in Detroit, he had a similar situation and it got misconstrued. Here's my problem with the situation. You don't miss Monday. Regardless of what happens in this situation, you do not miss Monday, especially when you are a leader on this football team. You show up, you understand that you lost the game, and you find a way to correct yourselves. But when you miss a day, that sets you back. 
That sets you back as a leader in that, within that organization. It sets you back as far as getting back on the winning track because it's not just about A.B. It's about Juju Smith, who's sitting there watching the superstar and Antonio Brown. It's about the young guys on the defensive side of the ball who are sitting there watching their superstar miss on Monday. He has to show up regardless of the situation. If he, if he had a good excuse, that's one thing. If he didn't have a good, uh, reliable family excuse that was reasonable, then the fine has to be pretty darn stiff, and the rest of the players have to know that. Right. We won't find that out for quite a while, but that's what management and Mike Tomlin would have had to do in that situation. You've got to think now, going forward, comes game time, all right? This is, an, this is an opportunity for Antonio Brown to answer now. At least it's real for the Pittsburgh Steelers. This is the player that's had a little drama. This is the player that we have to support. This is the player that's with us. That's right. That's playing with us still, and we have to rally behind. Much different psychologically than wishing a player was here, the one that's not. So this is does this sort of help you move on because it's different type of drama? Maybe because Antonio Brown is there, and now you can say, let's get him going. Let's get by the drama, though. The reason Pittsburgh's losing is not Antonio That's Brown. Right. That's the whole thing. That's it's right. the defense. It's exactly it's right. It's been that way for yeah. two and a half years. And if the defense were playing better, if the defense were playing better and they were getting more of a pass rush, which they haven't gotten in two games, could there be, would there be, has there been a player who misses Monday when a team is winning that it just goes unnoticed because it doesn't matter because the team is moving along? Did you have players who missed Monday, Bill, when you were winning and nobody talked about it? Not that I can recall. Well, okay. a couple guys late. A couple guys late, yes. Mm. Mm-hmm. Remember Did they happening? get fined? Did they get yeah, fined? Well, you bet they got Absolutely. fined. Yeah. What I want to ask you this, because you are a leader of a lot of big egos, a lot of big personalities in Dallas. With everything going on, they are winless in Pittsburgh. Yeah. What would you say right now to this? Well, listen, we, we have to get on the same page. And I have to put my superstars up front. I mean, the, the young guys and the, and the, the veteran players are going to follow the guys who are the superstars on the team who have been highly successful. Ben Roethlisberger, Antonio Brown are the guys that who you think, when you think about this organization, this Steelers organization, those are the two guys that lead the way. They have to stand up. They had to set things right. And it was just like this in, in Indianapolis. When you guys got, started to falter, who was the guy to stay, stand it, stood up? Peyton Manny. 18. It was yourself. It was Tom Brady. It was, your yeah. superstars have to stand up, and they cannot miss days. You have to show consistency through this process. Because your head coach can only say the same thing over so many times. That's right. In a team meeting saying, we got to move on from Le'Veon, or let's move on from this. It comes a point where that message of the head coach has to be adopted by someone in the locker room and then translating it in a different way to right. them so it stays mm-hmm. consistent. It seems like there is a disconnect between Tomlin and then the team because right now they, they don't seem like they're on the same page. Don't miss the defense, however. <laughs> I mean, we, we've shown clips here all day and all day yesterday of a play where there's lousy leverage, yep. there's lousy tackling, and there's lousy hustle on the part of the defense on, on one play in that game, which went for a big, uh, a big gainer. So that's where the problem really lies, not on offense. Bill, you said it's been a problem on defense for two and a half years now. Ever since Foxborough won the championship. Well, and I would say that ever since Ryan Shazier went out of the lineup, the defense has oh. really taken a plunge for the worse. How do they get that defense turned around now with it struggling the way it is? I don't know. I don't know. I think Tony Dungy always said, when things go poorly, go back to the basics. Do less. 
go back to the things that really got you there in the first place that you started teaching from day one of training camp, concentrate on the fundamentals. Right. That's the way to get better. You know, the one thing I do not like to hear is because there are times when you're in this situation, the defense isn't playing well. But do you look at a, Jack, a team like the Jacksonville Jaguars who all last year were waiting on that offense to get going? There's no excuses. There are no excuses in the NFL as far as when, you, when the offense is playing bad, the defense, you better step it up. It's just a part of the game. And when the defense isn't playing great in, in, in Pittsburgh, well, it's up to the offense to step up as well. So there are no excuses as far as, well, we're going to blame it on the defense or we're going to blame it on the offense. You are a team. You figure it out. Believe me when I say we will get back to this story as we go throughout the show, but we do have football tonight, believe it or not, within the North. Uh, and so we want to get to some of that. Thursday night football tonight between the Jets and the Browns will feature the NFL's top two teams in takeaways. Believe it or not, that is a real stat. This is something new because from 2013 to 2015, these two squads are ranked 31st and 32nd at the very bottom of the NFL in that category. Cleveland has been making a push to end its 19-game winless streak, which dates back to 2016. During the streak, the Browns have lost an NFL-high eight games by six points or less. So we will now welcome in Diana Rossini, who is there in Cleveland what is the latest right now with Sam Darnold, who is going to be a rookie quarterback starting on a short week? You know, Jack, we talk all the time about the benefits of the New York Jets having 39-year-old Josh McCown inside the quarterback's room. Well, when this team's got to play three games in 11 days, well, Josh McCown becomes front and center when it comes to mentoring this young rookie quarterback who's coming off a pretty lackluster uh, outing against the Miami Dolphins. And not only does Sam Darnold, but this entire team has quite the challenge ahead of them because it's been such a short week for them and they've seen so much action. And just taking a look at this, these are their challenges, 100 hours. That's all the time that this team has had to prepare for this game. On top of the fact of the stat that you mentioned that this Cleveland Browns defense rules in turnovers, and they blitz more than any other team in the league, almost 50% of the time. So Sam Darnold is going to have hands and bodies and pressure on him throughout this entire game, and I'm told... Despite all that, the part of this Jets game that you're going to see improve compared to last week is their run game. That's what they're relying to help Sam get out of trouble today. All right, Diana. Well, Jarvis Landry, if you can flip it over to the Browns, is questionable with a knee tonight. What's the latest on his status? All right, sources tell me that Jarvis Landry is active. In fact, I talked to some people on the Jets about it today, and none of them questioned whether or not Jarvis Landry was going to play today. And some of the sources I spoke with today with the Cleveland Browns over text message sort of put it like, you think he's going to miss this game the first time the Browns have actually been favored at home since 2015? He wants to go out there because you know what he says on Hard Knocks, right? It's contagious if you don't have that good attitude. But in terms of the Jets' defense getting ready to shut down Jarvis Landry along with Tyrod Taylor, they are going to isolate Desmond Harrison. He's the left tackle. Jack, he is a uh, undrafted free agent. He was picked up. This is a guy who is replacing future Hall of Famer Joe Thomas. So in terms of his experience and ability, the Jets know they could probably have a field day with him today. 
Now, and I think the, the hard knocks makes every Browns loss hurt just a little bit more, too. Thank you so much. We'll turn now to our Hall of Fame quarterback and Steve Young, who is joining us live from San Francisco. Steve, so it was a little bit of a change. Sam Darnold, much better week one than he was in week two. What happened after the big start? When you think about the opening day, everything kind of went out of the interception to start off the first play. Went according to plan. They could play in their playbook. They didn't have to go outside of it. Week two, they get down 20 to nothing. Now, Sam Darnold becomes the reason you need to go win. You're going to have to throw yourself back into the game. And for a young quarterback, that could be too much in the NFL. Look, the young quarterbacks, the guardrails are pretty wide. They're going to go guardrail to guardrail week to week. And hopefully Sam can and the team can keep in the playbook so that they don't have to go outside and throw the ball over and over and over and put too much pressure on them. Tonight with the blitzes, that's a new challenge, a lot of fun for him to try to decipher through, and that'll be something we'll be watching very closely. But more and more, I watch Sam Darnold. He's up for the challenge. He'll, I mean, he's, he's going to be a good player. Whether he's great or not, it's up to him. But I think week to week, you're going to see guardrail to guardrail. So, Steve, the Browns are 0-1-1. The fans may want to see Baker Mayfield here at some point. How do you know, though, when it is that time? Yeah, it's very contextual, Jack. I mean, every team, and you know, and I haven't watched Baker Mayfield practice every day. I don't know how it is in the locker room. I don't know how the team is to respond. You know, usually you get forced into this. They'd like to keep guys out. Look what Patrick Mahomes has been able to do, I, although just a couple of games, but having a year to kind of check everything out, it'd be awesome if everybody could do that, but that's not the case. You know that Baker's going to get on the field unless Tyrod can win games and stay in the hunt. As soon as the season's gone... That's when you see Baker Mayfield because the people are going to say, look, we demand to see him. And if they lose a couple more games, the people will demand to see him. And you know in the NFL, if the people demand it, coaches usually capitulate. Darn right. We'll be back to Steve Young later in the show as we do. We'll get you in on the Andy Dalton interview, too, which is coming up. All right, it's time now for the Modelo Gold Standard stat. And we've got a huge matchup this week. And this is an LS between the Chargers and the Rams. The battle for Hollywood is going to feature two of the best NFL running backs. That's Todd Gurley, Melvin Gordon. Since 2016, Gurley leads the NFL with 29 scrimmage touchdowns. After that, there's Gordon, who's tied with Zeke Elliott for the second most in that time. So it's time now for our running back spotlight, as we do every Thursday. We'll start with Darren here. Darren, who would you say is the running back with the best matchup this week. I'm going with Alvin Kamara and what he's done with the New Orleans Saints. And he's going up against an Atlanta Falcons team. Who just last week against Christian McCaffrey gave up 14 catches for 102 yards. And we all know Kamara can not only run between the tackles, but he can catch the ball in the backfield. Look for the Saints to get started in the screen game, the dump-off game. Kamara's going to have some matchup problems. They're going to have matchup problems in Atlanta because Kamara's going to have a big, huge day against the Atlanta Falcons. Teddy, who would you say is the running back with the worst matchup? I'm going to go David Johnson. Yes, the outstanding running back of the Arizona Cardinals, but they're going up against the Chicago Bears, and I just can't stop talking about this this linebacking core of the Bears, led by Danny Trevathan. Danny Trevathan, who had a great game last week, a young player in Roquan Smith. Yes, Khalil Mack is there, and he's doing special things too, but this front seven of the Chicago Bears is just a front that can shut David Johnson down, go in there, and dominate defensively. All right, Darren, how about a running back you would want in any matchup? You don't care. doesn't matter. Who would you take? Todd Gurley. He's surrounded by talent. Sean McVay gets him, puts him in the right situation week in and week out. And, again, I just talked about Alvin Kamara catching the ball, running the ball. You talk about a guy guy who once he gets on the perimeter and gets you in a one-on-one situation, he's either going to jump over you, he's going to run over you, or he's going to make you miss. He is a dynamic back in the backfield. 
Todd Gurley, another big day this week against the San Diego Chargers. And again, screen game. Watch out for the screen game with this Rams football team. I love it. All right, Teddy, how about a running back with a little breakout potential this week? I'm going to go with my gut, Jack. I'm going to go with my gut, and it's tonight. It's Carlos Hyde. Carlos Hyde, running back, Cleveland Browns. Why? I just got a feeling. (laughs) And I got a feeling. It ain't stat-based. All right, that's not on the defense. The Cleveland Browns, Thursday night, everyone's looking for it. Is it their first win? I think that it's possible this guy has a breakout game. You'll be looking at it tomorrow saying Carlos Hyde is a big reason why they have a great chance to win this football game. Bam, get some, Carlos. You just got to go with the gut sometimes. That's the bottom line. We'll get it to Adam now. How about a running back (laughs) storyline you are following? Well, a guy my size, which we like. Philip Lindsay, the Denver Broncos running back. He's been a spark plug uh, yeah. for that offense. And they went ahead and they drafted two running backs in the draft in April. Neither one was Philip Lindsay, an undrafted free agent from Colorado. He shined in Denver in high school at uh, Denver South, went to Colorado, did not get invited to the combine, and is now the third leading rusher in the NFL this season has basically made the kinds of plays that I think a lot of people expected out of Royce Freeman, who's been good, but not this good, the way that Philip Lindsay's running so far for the Denver Broncos. He, he's been a pleasant surprise. And you watch him burn. When he gets, yeah, when he gets yeah. through that second level, the ability to make people miss and the speed that he has, man, I, that's, he's been impressive. He's quick. He got a little road runner in him, too. Yes. What, he need, what, he needs yes. to have, what do you think, Teddy? Little guy, Adam, huh? Yeah, we like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Geico presents Monster Counseling. Dracula, tell me how you're feeling. No one understands how lonely it is. No one will even let me into their house. I knock and I knock, but they ignore me. Uh Uh-huh. What else? I look in the mirror and... (laughs) I don't even see myself anymore. If you don't see yourself clearly, can you really expect others to? I'm having a breakthrough. It's not easy to be a vampire. But with GEICO, it's super easy to switch and save hundreds on your car insurance. All right, so Steelers wide receiver Antonio Brown spoke today for the first time since his absence from the team meetings on Monday. Here is what A.B. had to say. Your teammates said you didn't owe them an apology. Did you apologize anywhere? <laughs> apologize for what? I got a personal issue. You guys have personal issues at home, stuff happened? Yeah. You guys you guys apologize for it or what? That's life. I got to apologize for the way I react. I got to apologize for everything. I'm a man. I don't make excuses. If I did something, I take solely responsibility for my actions. I'm accountable for my actions, and I take full responsibility. Still grateful to put on my uniform. Uh, grateful to be a part of this organization. Um, you know, I don't take that for granted. Uh, obviously, it was a uh, stupid remark on- online. Uh, I just got to stay away from online with the distractions. I put my heart on the line every day. Regardless of how I'm feeling, I'm out there. I'm giving 100% effort. Uh, that's what I'm about. All right, so I've been talking to Jeremy Fowler more than my own family this week, so we're going to do it again. Jeremy joins us live from <laughs> Pittsburgh. Jeremy, what did you make of Antonio Brown's response today? Well, Jack, Brown was hot. He came in hot. He spoke for nearly 10 minutes, and most of them he was on the defensive. And Brown's been vocal about having some issues with the media since the spring, and that came out here. Some moments were even a little tense. When asked about not speaking after Sunday's Chiefs game, he said, I'm right here. Come talk to me. I don't hide from anyone. I'm from Liberty City. But to Brown's credit, he answered everything. He spoke openly about needing to win. He said his flare-up with offensive coordinator Randy Feekner was just born out of frustration of the score and that he and Feekner are cool. He said his absence was uh, was excused. And then as far as the tweet, he talked. He said, look, I need to stay away from those kind of distractions. 
and not worry about it. I admit that I was a distraction to the team with that. I just got to play it cool, but I take it so personally when people take shots at me when I'm working every hour trying to be the best receiver. And so to the team in the locker room, his message will clearly resonate because he talked openly about the Steelers needing to get it going. He said, we suck right now. <laughs> okay, that's, that's one way to put it. What is your feel, if you can even get one yet, about what the team's response may be to what Brown had to say today? Well, it was funny. Linebacker Vince Williams at his locker before Brown spoke was playing some gospel music with the, with the message, the storm is over now. And so clearly this is a team trying to turn the page from a tumultuous 72 hours. But guys have put the full united front for Brown up in the locker room, fully supportive of their all-pro receiver. Uh, Cam Hayward said, whatever happens here is going to stay in-house, but we support A.B. And tight end Xavier Grimble told me something interesting. He said, Brown didn't need to apologize to the team because he loves us, we love him, and nobody in this locker room works harder. Jeremy, thank you very much, sir. Build up the volume. Lobs it down the left sideline. One hand grab! What a sensational catch by Keelan Cole! And a Jacksonville first down! He went up with his right hand and stuck to it like glue! What a monster game for this organization! All right, so welcome in now. Keelan Cole. Keelan is averaging 17.7 yards per reception since the start of last season. That's the highest mark in the NFL among guys with at least 50 catches. So, Keelan, I'm going to start you here. I'm going to need some honesty for the kids at home on this one. How does an undrafted guy from Kentucky Wesleyan put on this kind of a show in the NFL? Uh, you just got to learn. You got to learn from the people that came before you. Uh, you got you to keep learning, keep working to be the best man you can uh, in everyday life and just keep focusing, really. I just keep focused on my tasks, my everyday tasks, and trying to be the best I can. So you have to walk me through. This may be one of the greatest catches I've ever seen. Frame by frame, moment from moment, from your perspective, what happened on that play? Uh, really, it was just it was just trying to catch the ball and make the play on my first. It was my it was my first attempt for the game, and I was just trying to make a play for the team so so we can get the first down and keep the drive moving. And uh, it, you really can't predict these things. You know, you can't tell yourself where the ball's going to be on a certain situation. So I just really reached up and, and grabbed it, just trying to really just grab the ball, get the first down. You didn't even really tuck it, though. I mean, that's, that's the thing that's kind of boggled my <laughs> mind. You just kind of just went to the ground with it. Is that the best catch you've ever had in your life? Uh, Yeah, for sure. I mean, one of the best catches I've had in my life uh, that everybody else has seen, I should say. I, it, it's something I, I try to work on. You never know where the ball's going to be, and it's, it's something that I try to work on to try to make sure that if it's in my vicinity, I'm going to grab it. So after the touchdown – how did you end up at the top of the tunnel? <laughs> well, I, last year it was something I did when I when I scored a touchdown, so I just kept it going. It was the same end zone, so I just kept on running, and hopefully I was hoping some fans would be back there, but it wasn't many, so I gave probably two people a high five, but it was it was just a fun thing, just something to hype the crowd up and, and keep the environment wild. So, Keelan, from where you sit, why has Bortles been able to get off to such an unbelievable start this year? Uh, he, he's hardworking as well. Uh it, we 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 try to keep him as as confident as he can. He's, he's real confident, but you know sometimes as a quarterback you get rattled, and it's just something when you make catches like that, and when he's running the ball, it's it's great to see everything working at once. He's he's a he's an athlete, and he does everything that you ask him to do. Hey man, keep it up. We really appreciate you taking a little time today to hang with us on NFL Live. Thank you. Absolutely. So we'll turn from. One of the great young receivers emerging in the NFL right now to our pass catcher spotlight. Teddy, we'll start with you here. 
Who is the pass catcher with the best matchup this week for you? I'd love to choose Keelan Cole, especially after what he did to my old team last week. But I got to go with Deshaun Jackson because Deshaun Jackson, if you want to hear this clearly, he is averaging 30.6 yards per reception. Let that sink in for a little bit. 30. Deep. 30.6. And he's going up against the Pittsburgh Steelers defense who can't cover, can't tackle, and Fitz is just going to throw it up. And I think he's going to have a great matchup, Deshaun Jackson versus the Steelers. He can still run. He may be getting a little older. He can still run. I'll tell you He's open. How about the worst matchup for a receiver? I got to go with the Tennessee Titans, Corey Davis at the wide receiver position. Not only is Mariota a question mark to play this week, but also Delaney Walker's out. So he's going to be the focus of of the Jacksonville Jaguars secondary, who's by far the best secondary in the league. They will have all eyes on this matchup and try to take Corey Davis away. He's not going to have a big day. I'm sorry, Jack. It's not going to happen this week. Yep. This week, I think Jacksonville really puts it on the Tennessee Titans this week in this game. All right, Teddy. So how about a pass catcher that you would want? It doesn't even matter any matchup. Odell Beckham Jr. Just, just put him out there and he'll beat anybody. And I'm serious. He'll get open. And the reason why he doesn't have like 300 yards receptions right now, 300 yards receiving right now, is because Eli Manning's not hitting him. And I'll just say it. Eli's got to get him because he's open and he's open every play because he's that skilled. One of the most explosive humans on the planet. That's right. With the speed, explosiveness, no wasted movement while he runs his routes. Exceptional talent. I'll take him all day long, Jack. You're the only. I take him every week. But I don't have that. I don't have that option every week like Steve does to pick the same quarterback. Every week. Right. Exactly. I mean, after what he did to Ramsey, I guess you kind of have to any matchup. You know, I mean, I don't know who else you're going to take. So we'll get it. We'll get it back to Wood here. How about a breakout candidate? Sammy Watkins. You know, Patrick Mahomes has 10. That's good for my fantasy team, Woody. 10 touchdown passes. Sammy Watkins doesn't have one of those 10. Look for him to have a huge, huge day against the San Francisco 49ers. Look, they're moving the ball inside the 20s and between the 20s, and Sammy Watkins has become a huge factor. Hasn't been the big factor within the plus 20 in the end zone. Expect for him to have not only some reverses this week, but some big plays in the plus 20. I look for him to have a big day this week. All righty. What about, what about a little storyline out of Washington? Well, look, everybody's watching Josh Gordon to see what he does on Sunday night against the Detroit Lions. The first question is about his hamstring, and he's good enough to be out there practicing, and the belief is that the hamstring will be good to go on Sunday night against Detroit. Now the question becomes, how much do the Patriots use him out there? But Again, he's wearing that number 10. That used to be Jimmy Garoppolo's number, so they've given away Garoppolo's number, not saving it for anybody else. I don't know why Josh Gordon couldn't get number 12 in Foxborough. That seems a little, <laughs> <He'll get past laughs> a little crazy to me. And Josh Gordon has got the number 12 tattooed on his back, so he's got the number on his back tattooed, but he's got the number 10 for Sunday night against the Detroit Lions. If he could take away any coverage off of Gronkowski, it's, it's an immediate benefit, even if he's sort of a decoy out there. So that's so, something to watch. So how much do you think you'd have to pay Brady to go ahead and get the number 12? Hey, happening. <laughs> you got to say that happening. <laughs> no one has enough. A couple billions. I mean, it's maybe you'd possible. You'd have to you change know. the TB12 trademark. You can't do that, oh, Jack. That that's, that's a pretty good point right there. TB10. It doesn't work. <laughs> well, Junior Seau is an NFL legend. He was a force of nature on an NFL field, and he was electric off of it. The new 30 for 30 film, Seau, directed by Kirby Bradley, will tell you the story that stats can't. A searing and revealing portrait of the Hall of Famer's life and passing. Seau is a tale of a football icon who had a remarkable way of becoming a buddy of all who crossed his path. It's my man, Chicken. How you doing, buddy? Show the camera your muscle. Show that camera your muscle. Yeah. While Junior was great on the field, he had a unique ability to connect with people off the field in a way that was 
just as powerful as his play on the field. He knew how to react and respond to people to make them feel special. It's like everyone was his best friend. Yeah, buddy. All right, buddy, what's going on? Buddy, what are you doing? Yeah, he'd walk in the room, buddy, 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 what's up, buddy? And if you're a buddy, you're part of the family. Buddy. 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 Buddy, Mikey. Hey, buddy. Hey, what's up, buddy? And he'll give you a hug. Come on, buddy. When people would come up, they would say, hey, Junior, can I get an honor? He'd be like, hey, buddy, what's up? Of course, of course. You want a picture, too? Like, he would be the one. Like, of course, I'll sign this, I'll sign that. And he was just larger than life. And I'm just sitting there trying to eat my pizza. Like, I'm exhausted from school. I don't know how you're doing this because you're always on. And I think it was just the fact that he loved people. He wanted people to know that he was grateful. And he was humble enough to always give his all in every aspect of his life. And we do want to tell you that Seau is available exclusively on ESPN Plus starting today. We want to start with Teddy. What, what is your favorite junior memory? Uh, I would say playing on the field with junior, Brew Brew, cover me. He, he'd call me Brew Brew. That's what he called me all the time. And when he said, Brew Brew, cover me, I didn't know what he was going to do. <laughs> because it was, I was like, oh, okay. I mean, he would shoot the A-gap on the right or the left or the B. He'd be anywhere. But when he looked at me and said that, I was like, Okay, I know what's going to happen here. So I, playing with him, you had to be on your toes if you were playing next to him, especially a linebacker. He was that instinctive. If he saw something, he would just go. And that was my favorite part of playing with him because he was that way. Just, he just attacked every single play. And he didn't think about adjustment, adjustments as much as tackling the guy with the ball. That's what all he was about. So playing with him and being in the locker room with him and it's watching him learn to play guitar right. and the ukulele, things like that. Sydney, his daughter, you saw her on that piece. She was absolutely right how he just related to everyone and everyone really loved Junior Seau. Bill, how, how, will, how will you remember Junior? Well, um, you know, the guy to my left, in my humble opinion, is a Hall of Famer, as mm-hmm. is Junior. But Junior transcended everybody in my time in the league at the linebacker position other than Lawrence Taylor. And you could make an argument that because Junior was such a good cover guy, he might have been slightly better than Lawrence Taylor. But those are immortals. The thing he had going for him was incredible speed, incredible athleticism, incredible instinct, as as you alluded to, Teddy. Punch, the punch of three heavyweight champions. I mean, he knocked you over with one shot. Boom. And then the verve and the excitement with which he played. I can't tell you who, who this was, uh, which team I was with at the time when I saw this play, but it sticks out in my mind as though it were yesterday. Um, he was juking around in the A and B gap. We didn't know whether he was coming or not. And so the guard shot out and tried to cut him. He came late. He leapt over the guard in the air, hit the ground, turned left, Knock the ball carrier down. Incredible. I've never seen anybody do it before or since. Uh, he was one of a kind. Wood, how about, how about you? How would you describe his game and what you remember? He just, there was so much about Junior Seau. I mean, he was a great football player, but I think the one thing that really stood about me was the passion. I, I don't think I played or saw a player that played with so much passion on every play. 
the motor never stopped. It was not even in practice. Not even really, in practice. It was nonstop all, and, and, and all he, the time. And he was contagious. It was all, and we would be game plan. He played in the AFC. I was in the NFC. But when the Chargers played someone in the NFC, and I had the opportunity to watch him play. You, you had to watch him. You, you, I didn't care if I was playing the Philadelphia Eagles that week. I was going to watch Junior say I'll play someone if he just came I was like, across. what's this guy doing? What's he doing? What's he, he doing? He goes oh, against the grain. He, yes. <laughs> he does everything the wrong way. Then, oh, he makes a tackle. On the you bring up passion. It was passion. It was energy. And I covered the Broncos for 15-plus years. Mm. So they would play the San Diego Chargers twice a year. In the 15 years I covered the Broncos, there were only two defensive players I could ever remember just watching them during the course of the game. One was Ray Lewis and the other was Junior Seau. And Junior was everywhere, all over the field. He'd be there. He'd be, he was the Tasmanian devil out there. You could never control him. He was incredible to watch, and he's missed today. Teddy, how close were you guys after your playing days ended? Uh, how did your guys' relationship evolve over the years? Uh, after Junior left the New England Patriots, it was a, a phone call here, a text here. We sort of, we sort of separated a little bit. Once I stayed on the East Coast, Junior, of course, mm-hmm. would go back to the West Coast. I remember <laughs> uh, games where Junior would get to the plane as quick as he could and get on that first-class flight back to San Diego just mm-hmm. until he had to be back for Wednesday, a Wednesday practice, really? because when we had a victory Monday, Junior had the green light to go back home. So he just loved being in San Diego, loved surfing, uh, was something he was so passionate about, always try to get me to try to surf. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it was something that he just loved to do. I, just out of curiosity, how do we learn from the way that this tragically ended with Junior Seha? Well, I think it's going on right now. I think there's all this research that's ongoing with the NFL. And look, these injuries are, in many cases, unavoidable, which is why the league is trying to take some of the steps that it is today. But you hate to see it. You hope that over time the league improves with these types of issues and learns to understand them better. Terrible. I think the message to players today from Junior's terribly sad ending is that if you get into difficulty, yeah mental, physical, financial, whatever it may be, reach out for help. And fortunately, the league, the Hall of Fame, other organizations have set up abilities for players to reach out and get help. You know, we're all tough guys. We think, you know, football's a tough game. We're not supposed to uh, go for counseling or things like that. That's not true. It's there if you get into trouble Go get help before it's too late. And it's hard to flip that switch because Junior had 20 years. We had over a decade. I had 13 years of when there's a problem that you have on the field, get it fixed any way you possibly can. Just get it fixed. Not go somewhere and say, this is what I'm going through. Can we talk? Mm -hmm. You know, it's just a different mentality that you have to try your best to learn and try your best to humble yourself that if you're going through something – that you do have to say, maybe I do need help this time. Yeah, and, that, and, that's, and that's the hardest thing about it because we do. We try to fix everything on our own. And, uh, you know, I think one of the things in Dallas that we do do as teammates, former teammates, is we talk openly. And I've had conversations with Daryl Johnston as of recently just about some of his issues, medical issues, and myself, vice versa. Vice versa. So, you know, just opening up and having this conversation. If you don't want to go get help, at least have that conversation with your buddy, um, <laughs> with your buddy. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's really well put, and I appreciate you guys you know, remembering Junior today. And we, and we do want to tell you that Seau is available 
exclusively on ESPN Plus starting today. You can start your free trial of ESPN Plus. You can download the app. Visit ESPNplus.com. The great junior say out. Aaron Rodgers battled through Sunday's 29-29 tie against the Vikings, playing with a knee brace on his left knee, which he injured in the Packers' season opener. Rodgers admitted, though, he's concerned the injury could worsen the more he tries to play through it. If you've seen Rocky Three, you know that Mr. T, Clubber Lang, has a prediction before the fight. Pain. That's kind of what it felt like. Is there any concern that instead of getting better as the year goes on, that your knee's going to continue to get worse as the year goes on? I mean, yeah, this is obviously a concern. Hopefully it goes the other way, though. Um, for me, you know, as a leader, I, I want to be out there with the guys. Um, that's my motivation, is to lead and to be on the field and, and contribute. And like I've always said, unless it's you know, a super debilitating injury, I'd like to be out there. All right, so there's A-Rod. Adam Schefter is in the Domino's pregame HQ. Adam, what other quarterback injuries are you watching this week? Well, Jack, Case Keenum, the Broncos quarterback, did not practice yesterday due to some knee irritation. Now, he's supposed to practice today. The Broncos believe that he'll be fine to play on Sunday. However, it's worth monitoring that knee injury. Anytime a player misses practice time as he did, that's always problematic. The Broncos travel back east to play the Baltimore Ravens. Tough defense which has the extra days to rest coming up the Thursday night loss in Cincinnati. But Keenum, again, resting that knee yesterday. As for Marcus Mariota, still has struggled to regain feeling in his finger from the pinch nerve in his elbow from an injury he suffered on opening day. He's been throwing some at practice, but it's no sure thing that he's going to be able to play Sunday at Jacksonville against a very tough defense with Mariota nursing that injury in his hand. Blaine Gabbard has continued to take reps with the Titans' starting offense. We'll see whether they can get Mariota back in time to play Sunday. If not, it'll be Blaine Gabbard once again, Jack. All right, Shafty, nothing new here, but there is some running backs banged up as well. What's the latest there? Well, we got an issue here with LaShawn McCoy where he's got the cracked rib cartilage. And again, questionable for this week and whether he'll be able to play against a tough Minnesota defense right now. Not a simple injury for him to overcome. He's played through that cracked rib cartilage before he's been limited in two straight practices the past two days for LaShawn McCoy. If he can't play, that's going to be another obstacle for an offense that's already struggling at this particular time. Dalvin Cook right now has been dealing with a hamstring injury that he suffered last week against the Green Bay Packers. Now, after the game, he said he thought it was fine, but he did not practice Wednesday, and that's problematic. Again, coming off that knee injury last year, now is the hamstring this year. Maybe that's not all that surprising that something like this could happen. But if he can't play, Latavius Murray would start against the Buffalo Bills, and I think he'll be careful with Cook this week. Leonard Fournette has been back at practice some, missed last week's game with that hamstring injury against the New England Patriots. And T.J. Yeldon also is obviously a question mark for this week. He returned to practice in a limited capacity Wednesday, and I think the Jaguars are hoping to get him back against a team that beat them twice last year. Devonta Freeman, the Falcons head coach Dan Quinn, has said, no, it's not true that he's going to miss multiple weeks, but again, I was told that he's going to miss two to three weeks. He didn't practice again Wednesday. This would be the second straight game that he misses. I believe that he will not be able to play this week against the Saints of the Falcons have yet 
to make that official if he can't play, of course. And Tevin Coleman would be the running back that would be out there. And, of course, they're waiting to see whether Julio Jones is out there. He's been dealing with a calf injury. So the Falcons have some injuries to some of their offensive playmakers going on right now, Jack. All righty, Adam. Thank you, brother. Dalton throws into the back corner of the end zone. Touchdown, Bengals! Dalton will throw it on third and one. His pass caught in traffic. A.J. Green breaks the tackle. Streaking toward the end zone. Touchdown! Andy Dalton to A.J. Green has been magic tonight. The Houday Nation is rolling loud. The Cincinnati Bengals have put down 68 points so far. That is the second most through two games in team history. Cincinnati has a total of eight touchdowns thus far after scoring zero in its first two games in 2017. And Andy Dalton has been flat out electric as his 75 QBR ranks sixth in the NFL among qualified quarterbacks. So why don't we just have Andy Dalton right on the show right here? What do you say about that? Well, welcome in now undefeated Bengals quarterback Andy Dalton. Andy, you feeling the buzz right now in our hometown? Yeah, it feels good. Obviously, uh, like you mentioned, it's a lot better start than we had last than we had last year. So, um, no, we put ourselves in a good position. We just got to keep playing the way we have. So, in, in what ways has your on-field relationship with AJ Green continued to improve over these years? Yeah, I think it's one of those things we've we've played so much together, and I understand exactly how he runs routes. He's no, you know, we can talk about things that have happened in the past. I think that's the thing that's been nice about. Uh, playing so long together as you can, um, you know, reference things that's happened, happened years, uh, prior. So, um, you know, AJ's so good. You saw what he did last week. Anytime he got the ball in his hands, it seemed like he was scoring a touchdown. So, um, you know, our, we're just trying to get, uh, be the best that we can be. And, um, I just got to get it close to him. He'll, he'll make a play on the ball. That Thursday night game was, was pretty special. What, what about Bill Lazor? It seems like you two have just seemed to click immediately. What's the biggest thing that he's done to make life easier for you? Yeah, I think the one thing that he does is he he does a great job of um, finding matchups on the field, getting our guys in the best position to uh, make the play work. And so um, for me, you know, when I know exactly why he's calling plays and know exactly what he wants uh, when his things are getting called, I think it makes you play faster. And, um, you know, I, I think he's done a great job, and it's obviously shown with the production that we've had. AJ, so, so at least in my opinion, the best compliments, the best number twos that you've had throughout your career have kind of come and gone. Marvin Jones Jr., Muhammad Sanu. In what ways does Tyler Boyd compare to some of those other big-name number two receivers you've had? Yeah, we've been fortunate to have, uh, you know, several guys that have been really good. Like you mentioned, Marvin and Mo, uh, you know, they moved on. And then Tyler, Tyler's, he's, he's so good. He understands running routes. He's, uh, he's versatile, able to move him, move him around. And, uh, you know, he's had a lot of production in the slot and we've moved him outside some too. So I think that's the, that's the biggest thing that we've got. We've got a lot of versatility with our receivers and can kind of put them anywhere. You definitely have that. The defensive line has been paid. You're two and oh, you're rolling. How much, though, does that one playoff win hump live in the back of your mind as you go? That's all anybody's talking about uh, with this team. When they mention the Bengals, they talk about how we haven't won in the playoffs. And so, uh, I mean, that's the goal is to to get back to the playoffs and, and win when we're there. But, um, you know, all we can worry about right now is, is where we're at. And we've put ourselves in a good position to start the year. And, um, I mean, it's what we're working towards. We're working towards being the best football we can be in, in January and February. Yep. Andy, if you don't mind sticking around, so we've had a handful of guys around the league 
who have weighed in on the unprecedented number of roughing the passer penalties in 2018. We want to let you hear some of this sound. We'll come back and we'll get your thoughts. We got to gently lay the guy down, you know, <laughs> just gently lay him down, caress him and all of that. It's a violent sport. It's meant to be that way. Uh, so I definitely have, you know, feelings for those guys over there because not only are they penalizing people, you know, and affecting outcomes of games, but they're also taking paychecks away from people and they're acting like it's no big deal. Well, it is a big deal. It's a lot of money. You know, we enjoy the protection below the knee and, and above the shoulders, but I don't know many quarterbacks who want those calls. You know, there's, there's very few opportunities in the game for us to show any type of toughness. You know, we don't, we're not getting hit every play. But I'm a traditionist. You know, I've I watched the game and loved the game for a long time. And some of the rules, I think, help. Um, but some of the rules, you know, maybe are going, uh, going the wrong direction. So a very rational take there from A-Rod, I thought. So undefeated Bengals quarterback Andy Dalton still with us. We'll also bring in our Hall of Fame QB and Steve Young. So, Andy, I'll start with you. If it were up to you, you could write the rule book with regard to protecting the quarterback. What would it look like? I think we do want some protection, uh, you know, kind of like what Aaron was saying, below the knees, big, you know, uh, above the shoulders. Uh, you want that protection. But I think at the end of the day, you just want to see it called fairly and um, to understand what the foul is. Because, you know, after seeing it, um, you know, for a couple weeks now, some of these hits, you, I don't know the difference between a couple of them, and some are getting flagged and some aren't. And so, um, I think understanding the rule and uh, having it called uh, fairly for both teams, I think that's just, at the end of the day, uh, all you can ask. No doubt. No doubt about that. So, Steve, do you think that your career would have or could have lasted longer under this current rule book? I, I don't want to be the old guy, get off my lawn, you know, yelling and screaming. Like, I just don't want to feel that way, but I can't. inevitably it ends up that way. But there's no question. I mean, it, it, I think the league kind of doubled down on the Clay Matthews hit and said, that's illegal, and it just there's no way it can be. That's a Newt Rockney form tackle, like from back when they had leather helmets. There's, there's, you know, we've gotten to a place where quarterbacks, and, I, you know, I, I agree with Andy, I agree with A-Rod, you know, the, the head and the knees, that's, that's great. But the fact is is that they've made the quarterback now uh, uh, it's so protected that it changes the game. It changes the way that the defense's players look at it. Like they need to kind of not you know softly put them down. And, and the game is just not built that way. So if you're going to play everyone else differently and the quarterback than the quarterbacks, then it just it does fundamentally change the game. But I, would I love to play today with that kind of rule? Yeah, that'd be great. I bet that you would. So we really appreciate you guys coming on. Andy, you keep it rolling. Over on the other side, I appreciate that Newt Rockney reference. We got the Bengals. We got Notre Dame at the same time. It's a big moment for me. Fellas, thank you very much. We'll yeah, turn now we'll turn uh, now to some defenders to get you guys the way in. What do you think about what we just heard about protecting the passer? What do you all think? Look, I, I, first of all, I'm looking at Steve, and I've played a lot of games against Steve, and I have a picture of myself basically pulling Steve's helmet off, trying to pull his helmet off. So, I, I, listen, he would have thrown for a lot more yards if he would have had these rules in place. You know, this is, it's hard. It's a hard rule because the one thing about the defensive players, what we've understood, we've started to understand to stay away from the head, try to stay away from the knees, and we've been coached that way, try to keep away from the knees. But now, so our only spot to really hit a quarterback is in the chest area in that little small zone. 
And that's what a lot of these plays, the Clay Matthew play. Better not I, land on them, Wood. You can't land on them, and that's and that's that's going to be the, the next adjustment. But some of these plays are just you're hitting a guy in the moment and you're trying to take him to the ground. And you get a quarterback like a Joe Flacco, who's 6'5", 260, try to get him on the ground by just gently laying him down. You better get him on the ground, bring some force with it. Play Matthews one, Teddy. I'm yeah, and also, uh, no, it wasn't. It wasn't. Right. But I think what the officials are having a hard time determining is dropping the weight on a player. And then they brought up a new term. I think he was burping, burping the quarterback. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, there's different techniques. I understand what you're saying because mid-form, when you have a quarterback here, I can make a conscious decision to do a tilt and put all of my weight on you and dead weight him <clears throat> and just drop on him. And that's how you can get away from not hitting him in the head or in the knees, but still putting all of your weight on his. And then, of course, that's when you get the broken collarbones, like in Aaron Rodgers. So I understand how they got to protect against that, though. But they're just the difference between that and the Clay Matthews hit. There is a difference there in terms of what he did. He just formed tackle him like we're talking about. How I would deal with this now is you got to start to study referees. I would ask, I mean, pass rushers, what they do is they ask their coaches, can I get a sack reel about all the sacks that this quarterback had been sacked in terms of this left tackle's been beat this way and this right, this right guard and all that stuff. Now, give me all the roughing the passer calls that Tony Carrenti has called because he's our referee or at, at Walt Coleman has called because I want to see how he's calling it because there are different interpretations of them in terms of which, which referee that you have. And that speaks directly to the problem. I spent 20 years on the competition committee, which basically makes the rules. There are three pillars on which the competition committee builds rules. Number one, it has to be written clearly so everyone can understand it. Number two, it has to be able to be consistently officiated by every official, not one strike zone for this guy and another strike zone Mm -hmm. for the other guy. Third, and most importantly, it has to be able to be coached properly. At this point, this is not a new rule, by the way. Uh, That's been bandied about. It's not. It's a point of emphasis on an old rule. But the bottom line is that we don't know how to teach the correct way to tackle quarterbacks under this point of emphasis. Because if Clay Matthews, I hate to admit this, Mm -hmm. but my high school coach was from Notre Dame. We wore leather helmets and we were taught in the 1950s to tackle that way. I hate to admit it, but that's exactly the way we were taught to tackle. And ironically, that's exactly what the new helmet rule is trying to teach with tackling. Mm. Get your head to the side, right, yeah. hit with your shoulder, hit at the midsection of the player, and wrap up. Teddy's right. You can lift the guy even when making a form tackle and, and put your weight on him. But that's rarely happened, and it didn't happen in the Matthews case. Mm-hmm. And you've got Mike Pereira, Dean Blandino, both coaches involved in the game, both Minnesota and, and uh, Green Bay, and many others around the league saying that's not a foul. And Al Riveron is saying, yes, it is. Well, if it is, it's incumbent upon the league to teach the coaches not what is wrong, but what is right. Yeah. Tell us what is right. And we'll coach it that way. It gets to your point of not being consistent, right? Correct. So are there players out there that you could imagine doing this, Teddy? I mean, it's a great idea that you bring up, raising that defensive players should be studying the referees that are efficient. Do you know anybody that's done that yet? 
I, I do not. But if there was different interpretations with officials, that's definitely something there should be a reel now. Give each pass rushing individual a reel on each referee. And if it can't be coached, yeah. how properly to hit the quarterback? Do coaches end up falling on their sword and saying, now it's all about the ball? If you can't get to the ball or dip past that's disruption, the that's the disruption, answer. Tackle get, the ball, get you're your hand get up. More spiking of the ball, you're going to get more people trying to run through the football. Yep. And the truth is, we could have this conversation all day. This may be just one of the biggest things happening right now in the NFL. Worth noting, Von Miller. I said, "How would you rewrite the rule book if you could?" And he said, "It's good the way it is. Protect the money. Do do what you have to do to protect the money." I thought that was pretty interesting to hear. He said he only goes for the ball. That might be my new favorite promo. There we go. Our week three Monday night football matchup. Big Ben Roethlisberger and the Steelers in Tampa to take on Ryan Fitzpatrick. Mike Evans, the 2-0 Buccaneers, 8-15 Eastern, 5-15 Pacific. ESPN, you can also simulcast ESPN2 in Spanish. It's available on the ESPN apps. You can watch anywhere you are. Coverage begins Monday night countdown at 6 p.m. All right, so it is time for Making Smarter Decisions, informed by IBM Watson. Let's welcome back our Hall of Famer and Steve Young for some quarterback spotlights. Steve, how about a quarterback with the best matchup this weekend? Well, I don't think, uh, Jack, it's just because Patrick Mahomes is the hottest quarterback, but I think he faces a 49er defense in their home opener that has proven over a couple of games that they only have one pass rusher, very young linebackers, and a spotty defensive secondary. So, for me, if you think about great matchups, I like Patrick Mahomes in the home opener against the 49ers. What about the worst matchup this weekend? Well, how would you like to be Josh Allen? Hey, Josh, would you take the whole team and kind of try to turn it around from this, you know, to, destructive thing we got going in the locker room. Can you do that? And then also, we're going to send you to the Minnesota Vikings against the best defense in the league. And, oh, by the way, you know, go win us a game. That's going to be a tough matchup for Josh. Quarterback you would want in any matchup. Hey, Jack, i got to be honest with you. In this show, it's always been Tom Brady forever. But since they lost, I can't stay with Tom. I'm going to go with Jared Goff. But not because of Jared Goff. It's because of the Rams. The Rams are the best in the league right now. And if I'm, I, I, any, I would pick any quarterback any week who played for the Rams right now. But Jared Goff obviously has been very inefficient. I mean, very efficient. And speaking of any matchup, he's got a tough one this weekend. So let's get to this one then. How about a little breakout quarterback candidate? Isn't it time for Deshaun Watson? I mean, I thought he was going to take these guys to the Super Bowl. I mean, it was electrifying last year. And we just haven't seen it. I think there's a, there's, he's got too much talent. They'll get settled in. I think this is the week that he breaks out. All right, there you go. He's changing it up. No more TV 12. Thank you very much, Steve. We appreciate it. Is that little green right, screen Jay. behind you? I can't quite tell. Is that the real bridge? That's the real. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go jump on. No, it's not. The, it's the real bridge, <laughs> but it's just a picture. Enjoy a little sunshine out there for right. us, will you? All right, fellas. Time to pick the game tonight. What do we think? Well, first, we'll get a little nugget from Adam. Well, a couple of things we heard earlier in the show. Jarvis Landry listed as questionable with an ankle injury. Looks like he's going to be out there and play. And it has been. I said this this morning, 635 days since the Cleveland Browns last won a football game. Mm. 635. Bill, can you imagine being a GM of a team that hadn't won a game in 635 days? I wouldn't be the GM long, I'll tell you that. <laughs> How many GMs in that period? Yeah. Even, even yeah, if they win tonight, the Sunday losing streak would continue. Okay. That's the nightmare. Don't take it. <laughs> Over to you, Bill. Who you got tonight? Well, I think that uh, Greg Williams is going to give Sam Darnold more than he can handle. Yep. So the streak ends here. Mm. 17-10 Brown. I love it. 
Oh, I'm the only we one. Got, no, no, no. Hey, the Jets oh, are winning this game. All right. And it's about the Jets defense. Jamal Adams, Leonard Williams, they step up today. The Jets defense wins this football game. You got any hope in that heart, no, man? I do, You're man. You're so man. cold. All you I Cowboys am. are just so cold. It's about winning, Come brother. On. I'm just going to pick the winner. I'm going with the Cleveland Browns. Oh, I'm going with the defense. Carlos Hyde has a big day. Miles Garrett. <laughs> Miles Garrett, of course, is going to make some plays, too. Hey, it's Thursday night football, right? It's still Thursday oh, night football. Oh, let me guess. You give me the home team. That's the way it works on Thursdays. <laughs>